So Thanksgiving's coming up, and uh, we're not going to talk about Thanksgiving right before Thanksgiving. But uh, it just so happens that this passage in Luke lends itself to a talk about Thanksgiving. So uh, there you go. You guys familiar with the traditional story of how Thanksgiving started? Did you learn that in school? William Bradford, Plymouth Rock, 1621. The uh, Mayflower settlers had just come through an extremely tough winter the year before. They lost half, over half, of the people who had come over from England. They died. Sickness, disease, starvation, wasn't good. If it wasn't for the Indians, the chief of the tribe close by, Massasoit, was very kind to the English settlers. And through the interpretation of a young brave named Squanto, who had been actually captured by English explorers a decade before, taken to England as a slave, learned English, and then was repatriated back to his native land here in the U.S. Because he knew how to speak English and could interpret between the Indians and the settlers, there was actually some camaraderie that happened. And uh, the settlers were taught how to plant corn and other crops using fish meal or pieces of fish as fertilizer. And so their second season was so much better than their first. They had an abundant harvest, and they decided to celebrate for days. And about 90 or so of the Indians came, and they, they feasted for three days. The settlers brought their crops and their chickens, and the Indians went out and killed deer, and they had a abundant supply of food. And hence, Bradford called it uh, a time of Thanksgiving, as well as a harvest festival. And so that's kind of how we got Thanksgiving. There's a long history of how the Thanksgiving Day became a national holiday, but I won't go into that. But that's kind of how it all started. And so, you know, people, I think, who take Thanksgiving seriously, I, I think the British actually envy our Thanksgiving been over there in England and Scotland, and, and they really like it, if nothing else, because it's a buffer between Halloween and Christmas. So, the Christians I know there are just really mesmerized by the idea that a whole nation would, would yearly take time to give thanks. And I think it's great. I think people should give thanks. I think we should say what we're thankful for, maybe even at the Thanksgiving table before we eat. But some people have taken upon themselves to do this daily what I'm thankful for during the month of November. You guys seen some of their Facebook posts or blogs or whatever. And so one of the blogs, Facebook posts, Thanksgiving daily announcements that I've been following is by our own David Glasspool. Now, if you don't know David, he is our blind seminary-trained hospital chaplain who also does stand-up comedy. And um, so I thought I'd read to you some of David's posts from the past couple of weeks, my favorites. 
November 1st. Today I'm thankful that I cannot see well enough to know what jazz hands look like because they sound terrifying. <laughs> November 2nd. Today I'm thankful for my recent discovery of the fact that corporal punishment and capital punishment are not the same thing. <laughs> this will come in handy if I ever have children. November 3rd, thankful today for my what would Jesus do bracelet, because now when people ask me if I think I am God, I can say yes. <laughs> November 6th, today I'm thankful for that brief moment of sympathy and concern that I receive from people when I tell them that I'm going to the hospital just before telling them that I work there. <laughs> November 8th, thankful today for crappy, moderately funny one-liner jokes. I can use them on Facebook rather than wasting them on stage. <laughs> Obviously what I'm reading to you. November 10th, today I'm thankful for my ability to change my relationship status on Facebook. If ever I am lonely, I can just change my status to being in a relationship. No one has to know. <laughs> and November 12th, today I'm thankful that I made it out of that visually impaired motorcycle gang out in Delaware. Those guys were nuts. I just think that's my favorite one right there. <laughs> okay. Those guys were nuts. That, that motorcycle gang. Hell's Angels, beware. So um, we're going to read from the Bible now, Luke 17. And, and this is what I've done. I thought I'd make it more like a children's picture book than anything because there are so many awesome paintings on the internet about this particular story from the life of Jesus. And so it put like one sentence for each slide with this big picture. I hope you enjoy them. I'll read slowly as if you were a child going to sleep and you're being read a bedtime story. Luke 17, 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud, loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. 
Your faith has made you well. And in the message version, Jesus says, Your faith has healed and saved you. So, let's go to the full passage, please. So here's the whole passage. It's not that long. But I want you to look at the Word of God. I want you to let it sink in. Because this is an important episode in the life of Jesus. It's an amazing miracle, actually. This is the simultaneous healing of ten men with leprosy. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, but back in October of last year, we went over Jesus' healing of a leper. That was one guy that Jesus healed. This is ten times that miracle. So this is a demonstration of divine power that is really undeniable. If one leper being healed blows your mind, what does ten lepers being healed do for the surrounding populace, for the Jewish leaders? And this is an interesting thing. Even if you have read the gospel several times, you will never see the Jewish leaders who eventually arranged for Jesus' death at the hands of the Romans. You will never see them denying the fact that Jesus performed amazing miracles. They tried to explain it away. They tried to ignore it. They tried to, and sometimes, bury the evidence. But they never denied it. And they couldn't deny the fact that Jesus was compassionate beyond anything they could ever have imagined. I mean, just the way he talked to people who were obviously sinners people who were in physical distress. He would stop entire processions because a woman who was bleeding and had been bleeding for 12 years touched the hem of his garment and she was instantly healed. I mean, Jesus didn't mind that he was on his way to do something. He stopped and he wanted to reaffirm this woman, bring her back into community, And this is what he does for these ten lepers. You've got to understand that leprosy is this horrible disease. And I explained it a year ago. I don't like talking about it, but I will for the sake of those who weren't here. Leprosy is one of those diseases that excluded you from anything to do with community in the ancient world. Levitical law said that if you were a leper and there were people approaching, you had to shout out, Unclean! Because they couldn't see from a distance that you had leprosy. And what leprosy looks like, it maybe starts out as like a whitish patch on a person's forehead or nose or cheeks or someplace, kind of spongy as the bacteria that causes leprosy begins to take hold in the skin. Disfiguring disease... Sometimes it can cause blindness. If it gets into your teeth, it can make your teeth fall out. The bacteria will invade even your bones, and your body begins basically, well, your, your, your fingers shrink back into your hands because 
the bacillus is eating at, at the bone marrow. On top of that, you've got the injury that occurs because what it does is kill the nerves in your skin and you can't feel anything. And when you can't feel something, then you can hurt yourself. And in a world before antibiotics, your extremities can get infected and then basically just kind of fall off. It's a horrible, disfiguring disease. I won't go into it any farther than that. Sometimes, though, it can even affect their larynx. And it's interesting that they called out to Jesus in a loud voice. And I'm thinking several of them probably had raspy voices. They raised their voices in verse 13. They had heard about Jesus, obviously. They had heard about his great compassion. Otherwise, they wouldn't have approached him even from a distance, and called out. And here's a weird thing. This is kind of a motley group of men. There's Samaritans and there's Jews all together in the same group, which never would have happened if they had been well. It's interesting how, how trials, how suffering will put people together who normally would stay far, far away from each other. And so leprosy had erased their ethnic differences, and they probably supported one another by living together in the same little community because nobody else would be near them. They had left wives. They had left children. They had left parents, brothers, sisters, their best friends. They were outcasts. So Jesus issues this command. It's pretty simple. And I think the command kind of assumes that their healing would occur on the way to the priest. This is the Levitical command that if you've been healed from leprosy, you've got to show yourself to the priest who's kind of like the guardian of public health in the ancient Near East in Israel. And he would pronounce you clean, then you can re invest in all your relationships in society. But you weren't supposed to go to the priest unless you were healed. And so Jesus interestingly says, turn, go, show yourself to the priests. Why do they still have leprosy? Now, that takes faith. You're leprous. You're not supposed to be near anybody. And yet Jesus says, go, and show yourself with the priest. So you've got to place your trust in what Jesus has just said, or you can't do that. Turning and going is an act of faith that Jesus knows what he's doing. And this is what I've found in the Christian life. It's like that a lot. Jesus will not paint us a picture of how our obedience is going to work out so beautifully. He will just say, I want you to go and do this. And you're going, I can't do that. Or if I go do that, people are going to hate me. Or if I go do that, people are going to laugh at me. I can't do that. 
I don't have the ability. I don't have the words. I don't have the confidence. And Jesus says, go do that. And it's in the turning to go and do that thing that you get what you need to make it happen. And it's not before. And why? Because Jesus demands faith, trust in what he says. It's this way all through the scripture. I was just talking to somebody this week about the patriarch Abraham. Abraham was visited by God and he was told, Abraham, get up and go to the land that I'm going to show you. God did not give Abraham a map. He just said, get up and go. Now, Abraham had to pack up his whole household, his servants, and start moving before God was going to direct him to the promised land. I think that's fascinating because it happens even in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was told to go and spread the word to the Gentiles, and sometimes Paul wants to go to Bithynia, or he wants to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit stops him, because Paul doesn't know where he's supposed to go, but he's on the road. And then the Holy Spirit is good to give him a dream of a Macedonian man saying, come and help us. So, this is not an isolated occurrence. I just want you to know, if you're a Christian, and you want to follow God, it's going to require faith. Faith is the assurance of things you cannot see. So as the lepers turn to go, they are healed. So the Jewish lepers are going to the priest who can inspect them and then observe that the signs of leprosy have disappeared. But it's only a Samaritan leper who sees that somehow God has done something fantastic and he needs to stop and go address this amazing occurrence. And it seems like Jesus delights in the fact that this Samaritan came back and thanked him and praised him. Now, the fact that a Samaritan would receive God's help would have been scandalous in ancient Israel as well. Because they were heretics. They had the uh, faith all wrong. There was uh, something wrong with their dogma. They um, were not only half-breeds racially, but... You know, they were, they were a cult. And there's no way that God would bless somebody who had the wrong theology and the wrong bloodline. But Jesus, obviously, praises the Samaritan, and that has all sorts of implications. You wonder, I mean, I, I, this is Mike Sayers' thinking and not the scripture. You wonder what was going through the lepers, the Samaritan leper's head as he turned. He's thinking, you want me to go to a Jewish priest? <laughs> like, seriously? I don't know if they're going to like that. 
Um, I mean, maybe he was afraid to go to a Jewish priest, didn't know where else to go, so I'm going to go back to Jesus. Maybe there were, I'm, there were probably priests in Samaria, I would assume. They had their own religion. Uh, it was a kind of bastard form of Judaism, but uh, they had their own religion. So maybe he was going to go back to one of the Samaritan priests. Maybe now he wasn't so sure that he wanted to go to a Samaritan priest. Like, because I have just encountered the divine. Like, stop the presses. <laughs> Why would I go to a priest when I think God just did something for me through this guy? I'm not even sure. If, I mean, maybe this is God. He understood the implications of what was happening a lot better than the nine Jewish lepers did. And he went back to embrace this potential that was in Jesus and getting from God what he knew he really needed. The Samaritan's heart was longing for a relationship with this divine healer. He wanted more than just healing. Now, the text is interesting because in Greek, it ends with, then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has sozosi. Meaning, most of the time when we translate it, your faith has saved you. Just earlier in the book of Luke, this is used uh, of a woman, and Jesus said, um, you know, your f- rise, your, your faith has, has saved you. And here, for some reason, the translators like to go, has made you well or healed you. Which is why I like the message, because it's a more holistic approach, and I think approaches more what's really going on in the passage. Because here's the deal. Ten lepers were healed. Ten lepers were healed. One got saved. Ten lepers were healed. One got saved. I don't know what happened to the other nine. Later on, maybe they came to faith in Christ and were part of the early church. I hope so. I hope when we go to heaven, we meet some of those guys, if not all of them. But this Samaritan understands immediately that he's been in contact with God himself. So he comes and he throws himself down at Jesus' feet. It said that he he cries out in a loud voice, and and Luke uses the Greek, and the, the Greek there is interesting because it means loud voice. <laughs> it's exactly what the passage says. And I'm thinking, well, maybe if he didn't have a larynx that was totally operating properly beforehand, now the difference is dramatic between the have mercy and crying out in joy and going back to fall at the feet of Jesus. And this is interesting, too. He falls at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't tell him to get up. Now, if you read the Bible, you'll see that every time someone falls at the feet of an angel, the angel always says, get up, get up, don't don't do that. You shouldn't be worshiping me. That when 
The Apostle Paul is on his missionary trip and great miracles are performed and people start falling down in front of him and worshiping him as a Greek God. He says, get up, get up, don't do that. Because he knows he's not God. He's a man of integrity. He's also a Jew who says we should worship God alone. Jesus was a Jew. He knew that we should worship God alone. And yet Jesus accepts the worship of the leper. He accepts the worship of the leper. This is why you can't claim that Jesus is just some great moral teacher, according to C.S. Lewis. Because a great moral teacher wouldn't claim to be God and wouldn't allow people to worship him as God if he wasn't God. So Jesus leaves you three options. One is that Jesus was a liar. He knew that he wasn't God and yet accepted the worship as God no matter. Or Jesus was crazy. He thought he was God, but he wasn't. Or he was who he said he was, which is God in the flesh. Those are your three options. And this Samaritan knows now that God is wherever the power of God is. Wherever the grace of God is, God is there. And that's where Jesus is, he's discovered. And so that's where God is, he surmises. Jesus is the true temple. God is not in the temple in Jerusalem. God is in the form of Jesus. The Samaritan knows it. And I think he knows that God offers something more than just physical healing. Otherwise, he would be on his way back to his family. So he had the faith not just to be healed, but he was given at that moment the faith to follow Christ. All people are blessed by God. You're blessed by God. I'm blessed by God. Even people who don't believe in God are blessed by God. But not all people follow Christ. Sometimes I I, I worry that we as a people just follow God because of the benefits we're going to receive. I feel like one of those gold digger wives who marry the decrepit old billionaire because of all the money and the toys we're going to get and we don't really love the guy. We marry Jesus for the money. Well, maybe not the money. We marry him for the security. Well, maybe not security. We marry him for all the spiritual goosebumps, or maybe not spiritual goosebumps, but we we marry Jesus because we really need people to love us in a community like scum of the earth. We don't like Jesus, we like the church. Usually hear that flipped around. They don't like the church, they like Jesus. But I think if the community is operating properly, we've had people here like this, they like the church, but they just don't like Jesus. Because God is doing amazing things 
in the hearts and lives of his people when they pay attention. The big deal, and I don't care at what level of maturity you are, the big deal is to desire the giver of the gifts and not just the gifts themselves. Charismatics get tripped up in this all the time. I was one, trust me, I know. I want the prophetic word. I want the healing power. I want the word of knowledge. That's what I want from God. I want the gifts, the power gifts. Jesus, well, maybe only when he's being nice. So it doesn't matter. We can do this our whole entire Christian lives. Prefer the giver, prefer the gifts over the giver of the gifts. I want to talk for a minute about, um, about thanksgiving and praise. Now, before I do that, let me talk about the Samaritan one last time. So the Samaritan comes, and he is welcomed into the kingdom of God by Jesus himself. A Samaritan. And it's interesting, because if you read the Gospels, you hear Jesus saying... I was only called to the lost sheep of Israel. That's my focus. If Jesus had a ministry vision statement, his target group would be Jews. Not Gentiles, which is everybody else. And yet on a couple occasions, this being one of them, Jesus accepts Summoned from outside his target area into the fold. This would be kind of like if um, your, your favorite goth princess, resplendent in black flowing gowns, black nail polish, too much mascara and eyeliner, um, you know, black lipstick, white pancake makeup, giant Nazi boots goes to Cherry Hills Community Church in Highlands Ranch. And she is welcomed into the fold. That's what it would be like. It would be like some guy in his polo shirt and docker trousers with his penny loafers coming to scum of the earth, his hair parted neatly on the side of his head. And... We just made him part of the community because he showed up. That's what the church is supposed to be like. I mean, it's okay for us to have our target audiences. I don't mind Cherry Hills Community Church ministering to the upper white middle class suburbanites south of town. I don't mind that at all. But I also know that they need to be accepting of anybody else who shows up. Same for us. We've got a target. Always have. If you hadn't noticed, I'm not the age of most people in this room. 
Scum is on average 30 years younger than I. Do you think this is an accident? It is not an accident. Why? It's because I felt like God said, these are the people I want you to shepherd. I want you to go after, first of all, young people. Second of all, weird people. So if you're weird, you're welcome here. I mean, we want you. We want the margins of society. We want people who don't fit in any place else. This is the place for you. Nobody will point at you and laugh, as our flyer states. Come to scum of the earth. It might make the voices in your head stop. Those are the kind of people we want. Scum of the earth, you were born for this place. Rock on. A church for lame wads like you. These are marketing pieces that we've spread around the city hundreds of times. It's like, give us your tired, give us the people who don't fit in. That's what we want. But here's the deal. If somebody comes who doesn't fit that target, do we say you're not welcome? Definitely not. Somebody comes who's in their 70s or 60s, on the contrary, we need those people. Because nobody has enough mothers and fathers in Christ. No one leaves father and mother and house and lands uh, and who doesn't get more in this life and the next mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and houses and lands. Because the church of Jesus Christ is both male and female. It's both rich and poor. It is both black and white and yellow and brown. It is married and single. It is children. It is childless. That's the scripture. That's the reality of heaven. And we're supposed to reflect that here. And so I think the Samaritan's example that warns us against unduly limiting our ministry and whom might God bless through it. All right. Now on to thanksgiving and praise. It's interesting that the Samaritan starts with thanksgiving and ends with praise. Because it's exactly what the scriptures say in Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So, here's the picture. The gates to the temple are thanksgiving. You step into the courts of the temple, it's praise. It's the progression. The way you get to praise is through thanksgiving. Do you have a hard time praising God? Maybe it's because you've never taken the time to thank Him for all the things He's done for you. Because gratitude leads to proper relationship with Jesus according to this story. The proper relationship of Creator to the created, the proper relationship of the Master of the Universe to one of the members of that universe, 
The proper relationship of Lord to servant is one of praise, like bowing down, worshiping, praising. I mean, you don't go and stand before God and go, Yo, God, what's up? How you been? I mean, I don't think we'll be able to stand in the presence of God. Much more talk to him that way. And so thanksgiving leads to a proper relationship with God. The other nine were being obedient to Jesus, which is very good. But obedience combined with gratitude is better. And the goal of this story is being in a relationship with God, being more than grateful. By the way, this is the only place in the Bible that this story occurs. And I think it's because God wants us to be more than grateful. So what if you're not grateful, like me? You don't take the time. You don't do the daily, this is what I'm thankful for today routine. You like rather to look at your life and all the things that are going wrong and focus on those things and not think about the fact that you're an American living in 21st century. You've got more benefits than anybody in the history of the world. I mean, even the homeless here have it better than the homeless anyplace else. I know, because I was, I mean, I've been at least to the UK. There's an old Jewish story that illustrates this point. There's a man who goes to the rabbi and he complains. Life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do, rabbi? And the rabbi answers, take your goat. Go into the room. Take it into the room with the nine of you. The man is incredulous, but the rabbi insists. Do as I say, and come back in a week. A week later, the man comes back looking more distraught than before. We cannot stand it, he tells the rabbi. The goat is filthy. It's headbutting us. It's jumping on the furniture. It's eating the furnishings. The rabbi then tells him, go home and let the goat out. And come back to me in a week. A week later, a radiant man enters the office of the rabbi. And he exclaims, Life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat. Only the nine of us. The situation is the same, right? As it was at first. But his perception had changed. I think this is a Jewish way of saying, It could always get worse. So at least we have that to be thankful for, folks. When you look at your life, do you really perceive that God has blessed you? If we're Christians, we've been given everything through Christ. The devil will do his best to keep our minds off of the things that God has done for us. He doesn't want us to be grateful because he knows where gratitude leads. Gratitude leads to being more than grateful, which is praise and right relationship with God. And he does not want to see that. He wants us nowhere close to praise. 
when we are thankful, the door opens up to a friendship with Jesus, and we see everything that he has done for us, how good he is, and we begin to praise him, and we praise him forever. So let's begin this Thanksgiving season by being grateful. You can start by listing something daily until Thanksgiving. You may not be as funny as our brother David Glasspool, but you might end up as close to Jesus as the Samaritan leper in this story, which would simply be glorious. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, so often, so often we don't thank you. Give us hearts of gratitude. Open our eyes to the things that you have done and provided for us. Because we want to be in right relationship with you. We want, we want to be more than grateful. And we ask this in your holy name. Amen.